Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 8.48 a.m. Central Standard Time. It's the 25th of January, 2022. And this is episode 532 of Bitcoin. And I would like to start this off with a piece from Nat Brunel, who's being interviewed by none other than The Money Honey. What do you think is behind this sell-off in crypto? Yeah. Hi. Good morning, Maria. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's just a reflection of the bigger macro picture. And, you know, volatility is not new for this space. Those of us have been, who have been in it for years, we've experienced drawdowns of 70 and 80 percent. And we maintain a very long term view on what we know is an undervalued technology network. And as the Fed tries to tighten and we see a big correction, I think this presents a great opportunity for a more affordable entry point, a buy in opportunity on one of the best long term horizon bets out there. This is an insurance policy against irresponsible big government intervention and against easy money that's creating an asset and housing bubble through money supply expansion that ends up making the billionaires richer and the average person has to suffer through inflation and worry about the cost of groceries and gas. So people, especially millennials like myself, we look to Bitcoin for an option out of that institutionalized system. And because that's destroyed our purchasing power and and our ability to save. And so this is our way to get money out of the hands of the central planners that act as if they have great intentions, but some of whom have been happily day trading and creating this big debt bubble, right? Say what you want about Nat Brunel, but she nailed that son of a bitch right to the freaking wall. I mean, I've never, there, there are very few instances where I see somebody actually, you know, pin it down in as few words as she has. Michael Saylor is one of the other people that can pin it down and is extraordinarily articulate when it comes to this sort of explanation thing, especially to those like the money honey. If you have never heard her called the money honey, uh, you weren't watching CNBC back in in the day. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so let's, let's get on with some other things and we're going to start today with well we're going to start with stupid is what we're going to start with uh, Stephen graves is writing this for decrypt.co the beatles memorabilia put on sale as nfts by julian lennon but there's a catch john lennon's son julian is selling several items of beatles and john lennon memorabilia as non-fungible tokens but the physical items themselves aren't going on sale. <laughs> Honestly, I could probably stop right there, but let's find out uh, what goes on in the rest of this shit. The Lennon Collection series of NFTs includes Paul McCartney's handwritten notes for the Beatles song, Hey Jude, as well as items of clothing worn by John Lennon during his tenure in the Beatles. Bidding starts at $30,000 for the Hey Jude notes, for a black cape worn by John Lennon during the filming of the movie Help, and $6,000 for an Afghan coat sported by Lennon in Magical Mystery Tour. Uh, (laughs) Jesus, it just gets bad and worse and worse. Rounding out the Lennon collection are several guitars owned by John Lennon with bidding starting at $4,000 for each NFT. Remember, people, none of these physical items are, you're not buying them. You're, you're not going to hold John Lennon's guitar. You're not going to wear the cape. You're not going to actually hold the notes handwritten by Paul McCartney for Hey Jude. You're, you're not going to touch them, but you're going to buy them in the form of an NFT. <clears throat> With one eye on the backlash over the environmental impact of NFTs, <laughs> the Lennon Collection NFTs are being built on Polygon, a layer two scaling solution that Lennon's NFT partner Yellowheart describes as more environmentally friendly. 
A portion of the proceeds from the sale are also being donated to the White Feather Foundation to offset carbon using a blockchain-based marketplace Nori. While NFTs are typically used to prove ownership over a digital or physical item, in the case of the John Lennon collection, ownership of the physical items themselves will remain with Julian Lennon. That's raised eyebrows in some quarters, with fans likening them to photocopies of the objects in question. Exactly what ownership rights NFTs confer remains a thorny issue, and it remains to be seen whether the market will value NFTs that are associated with physical objects, but don't actually confer ownership over the object itself. The memorabilia industry has, unsurprisingly, seized on the possibilities presented by NFTs, one of the leading NFT collections is NBA Top Shots, a collection of video clips showcasing iconic basketball moments. NFL star quarterback Tom Brady has launched NFT platform Autograph, which initially focused on digital sports memorabilia before branching out into music with musician The Weeknd joining its board. Musicians have become increasingly interested in the possibilities offered by NFT collectibles. Amid the NFT boom of 2021, musicians including Kings of Leon, Grimes, Weezer, Snoop Dogg, M.I.A., and the Rolling Stones' Mick Jagger launched their own NFTs, while music collectibles platform One Of launched in July 2021, offering NFTs from arts including John Legend, Quincy Jones, Doja Cat, and the late Whitney Houston. Oh boy. Okay, so there's, there's the article in its entirety. Uh, I had to fight through it, and I fought through it for you. That's right, for you. And if you'd like to support what I do, you can do it through Podcasting 2.0. Grab any one of the Podcasting 2.0-enabled <clears throat> podcasting apps, or otherwise known as podcatchers, and it will have a wallet inside of it that you can load up with Satoshis from some place like Blue Wallet or Strike or somewhere else like that. And then you can stream me Satoshis, which go directly to my lightning node without anybody in between. That's right. And I can watch them flow in like I was watching them flow in yesterday. And it was, God knows, it was a thing of beauty. My absolute favorite way of supporting myself. And this is how I support other podcasters and content creators in the space is through Podcasting 2.0. And also, as you do <clears throat> these things with podcasting 2.0 it will enable you to have a leg up of what's coming in the future because if you think it's going to stop with podcasting if you think value for value transmission is going to stop with podcasting you are wrong this is going to infiltrate everything now let's say a little thing about this whole julian lennon beatles nft mess it's bullshit it is a money grab by Julian Lennon. And I used to have respect for Julian Lennon, but not anymore. If he's not going to actually confer the physical item to you, then what's the point? What's the point of being able to, look, this is my, showing people your phone. This is my NFT of the Hey Jude note, which was handwritten by Paul McCartney. And then you will be asked, well, did you take a picture of it? Is it at your house? Can I see it? I'd love, love to hold something by, you know, written by Paul McCartney because God knows I would too. I like the Beatles. But alas, you will have to say, well, no, this is an NFT. And then you will be asked, well, so you're going to be able to sell that physical note somewhere else on the secondary market for a lot more money, right? Because it's going to appreciate in value. Well, no, I will be able to sell this nifty NFT though on the second market for a lot more money than I paid for it because, you know, people are freaking stupid. But no, you're not going to hold the actual guitar that John Lennon played, nor will you wear the cape, nor the fur coat, nor will you hold the note. You will not have access to any of these things, and yet you're going to spend $30,000 for one of these stupid-ass items. See, this is, this is where the entanglement of human greed interacts with other human greed. And it's a messy situation. And I just, I, I have lost all respect for Julian Lennon at this point because he should know better. He's, 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 a, bright, he's a bright person. He was raised by a very brilliant songwriter and somebody who had very serious insights into how to live life, what 
things are right, what things can be ethical. I mean, yeah, he was a socialist like out the wazoo and I get that, but he had good intentions. He didn't want war. He didn't want people to die. He didn't want people to be poor. And yet here's his son who is going to go out there and make people poor and basically give them a ticket to the show. I don't even know if that, if, if I can even describe an NFT as that. But be aware, people, this gets worse and worse and worse as we go through the maelstrom that is the NFT space. So please, please, please understand that what you are buying is essentially worthless. So let's just, you know, screw it. Let's move on. Despite criticisms, El Salvador is not forcing its citizens to use Bitcoin. Uh, Jaime Garcia has this one for Bitcoin Magazine.com. In November of 2021, El Salvador hosted two Bitcoin conferences and a plethora of international Bitcoiners descended upon the country. Most seem bullish on El Salvador. However, some have criticized the rollouts as heavy-handed and in contradiction to the Bitcoin ethos. While it's important to provide constructive criticism, verifying these claims is equally important. The implementation may be far from perfect. However, it's vital to dispel the myth that El Salvador is forcing its citizens to use Bitcoin. It's often forgotten that the Salvadoran colon remains legal tender and that everyone is required to receive transactions in colones. In fact, with a fixed exchange rate of $1 being 8.75 colones, Consumers can ask for prices expressed in colonis. Now, does anyone do this? Of course not, but someone could. And not complying would mean violating the law. In January of 2020 or January of 2001, the USD became legal tender in El Salvador and people began to use it over the cologne, and they've not looked back. Prices are no longer expressed in colonis, and no one is expected to actually accept them. The fact, or rather the above fact, highlights the importance of rules and norms in any given society. Although rules are enforceable, the population develops habits and actions around norms. For example, in El Salvador, people live according to implied informal rules in which colonists are no longer accepted. Albeit the current norm is to use the U.S. dollar as a store of value, medium of exchange, and unit of account, the rules require that colonists and Bitcoin are also acceptable. Bitcoin opposers in El Salvador argue that the government has trampled on their rights and is forcing people through draconian methods to use Bitcoin. Unfortunately, some Bitcoiners have bought into this unsupported narrative. However, the violent enforcement of transacting in Bitcoin at this stage is false. To date, there hasn't been any reports of businesses being persecuted for not accepting Bitcoin, despite citizens reporting that popular Pollo Campero restaurants no longer accept it. Yet, critics use the Bitcoin law to weaponize their talking points, create FUD within the international community, and dissuade Salvadorans from using Bitcoin. Few understand the Bitcoin law, which is why it's vital to highlight critical aspects of the law in lay terms. So here are a list of the articles. Number one, the law applies to everyone. Two, the free market sets the exchange between Bitcoin and USD. All prices may be expressed in Bitcoin. All taxes may be paid in Bitcoin. No capital gains tax will apply to transactions that is in the exchange yield of profits. For accounting purposes, the USD will be used as the reference currency. Everyone is required to accept payment in Bitcoin for products and services. The private sector may provide options. The state will ensure to provide the tools so that Bitcoin transactions may be performed in an automatic and instantaneous conversion between Bitcoin and USD if the user so chooses. The state will promote education and the tools necessary so that the population can access Bitcoin transactions. The regulations and operations for how the automatic and instantaneous conversion options from Bitcoin to USD provided by the state will be specified at a later time. Number 10. Sorry, I'm not going to read every single number here. The executive branch will create the institutional structure for implementing the law. 
The Salvadoran Central Bank and the superintendents of the financial system will set guidelines within the time frame corresponding to the law's implementation. Excluded from Article 7 are those who, through noticeable and obvious fact, do not have access to the technologies to transact in Bitcoin. The state will promote the necessary training and mechanisms so that the population can access transactions in Bitcoin. 13. Before this law, all valid agreements expressed in USD may be paid in Bitcoin. To meet the obligations in Article 8, the state will, will create escrow through the Salvadoran Bank of Development to ensure the automatic and instantaneous conversion of Bitcoin to USD. This law supersedes any previous law that may be in contradiction. And 16. This law will become official 90 days after it's published in the official press. Anti-Bitcoin activists opposed Article 7 because they believe it forces people and businesses to transact in Bitcoin, which is untrue. After all, Article 12 exempts people from unjust persecution. What's more important than focusing on unlikely scenarios is to recognize the considerations in propelling Bitcoin as legal tender. Under the Constitution, the government is required to create laws for the benefit of and enrichment of all Salvadorans. Because 70% of the population is unbanked, the government must facilitate financial inclusivity to improve access to their rights. The law claims, or rather aims, to create economic growth and opportunity through free markets to enrich all Salvadorans. In a recent op-ed, Bitcoiner and author Anita Posh points facetiously to whether El Salvador is the first country in the world to make Bitcoin legal tender, or it's the first country in the world that forces its businesses to use Bitcoin, which is a false dichotomy. El Salvador provided the legal framework for adopting a currency into legal tender and could not ignore basic exchange protocols. Businesses already adhere to various requirements like a bank account, Permits, licenses, insurance, etc., etc. Accepting Bitcoin is one requirement that prepares companies for the future and an expected increase in tourism. The government is not forcing businesses to use their Chivo app, and with the known challenges with the Chivo POS, merchants can choose any point of sale option like PESA, OpenNode, IBEX Mercado, and BTC Pay Server. Most of these options offer instant auto conversion to USD. Although Chivo has issues, it's an onboarding tool that facilitated the $30 sign-up incentive to be equitably distributed to those who chose to use the Chivo wallet. And given that some critics are no fans of the airdrop approach, the Salvadoran government was going to be damned if they did, damned if they didn't in distributing funds to the population. Salvadorans aren't obligated or coerced to use a Chivo. The bet is on people getting educated and eventually transitioning to non-custodial Bitcoin and Lightning wallets, and it's a solid bet. In a series of tweets, Bitcoin Beach's Michael Peterson suggests that we need evidence that the government's intentions are nefarious and that the Chivo developers are altcoiners using non-Bitcoin rails, otherwise the claims are just rumors. And while rumors may make a juicy story, it's against the Bitcoin ethos of don't trust verify. To date, Peterson has put a bounty of 10 million sats for anyone who can validate the rumors regarding Chivo developers, yet no one has stepped up with credible information. When critics say that Salvadorans weren't asking for Bitcoin, they're correct. Not all Salvadorans are using Bitcoin as a norm. Still, Bitcoin is a means to an end, improving their quality of life and being economically independent of other governments. The adoption process will be gradual and it cannot be successful if it's forced upon the population. El Salvador has provided Bitcoin with a home and a framework uh, for how it can be the financial capital of the future. Many critics would like to see adoption fail, but it's up to Salvadorans, not Bitcoin influencers or even the government, whether Bitcoin adoption in El Salvador moves from being an experiment to success. Yeah, again, Jaime Garcia for Bitcoin Magazine lays it out for us. And, you know, honestly, I don't, okay. It seems to me that there is no credible evidence that anybody's been put in jail for not accepting Bitcoin. And I didn't expect that to actually ever happen. However, there, there was a statement made that the government, quote unquote, had to make it this way because they were going to make it legal tender 
and they were going to be under the guise of, you know, exchanges and whatnot like that. And I, I don't necessarily agree, you know, at any given time, a government can do whatever the hell a government's going to do, depending on how much control they have over their populace. But <clears throat> I think this entire thing is completely blown out of proportion. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Jaime here that because the government hasn't thrown anybody in the in the pokey because they haven't used Bitcoin, then it seems to me that they're doing it the right way. I still wholeheartedly believe that the next country that does this should not make it legal tender. They should just decriminalize its use and allow anybody, bank, the government, well, actually, let me me back up, banks, exchanges, businesses, private citizens to use Bitcoin if they so choose. The government, however, should be forced to make it legal, or if you're going to make force legal tender laws, it should be laws for the government of the country that wants Bitcoin to flourish in their country. You don't force, you tell everybody, look, you can use it if you want. We're totally good with it. We, however, are putting a stricture upon ourselves that we have to accept it in taxes. We have to accept it in, if you're going to pay a fine, whatever it is that, if you're going to pay the government of whatever country, in anything, we have to accept Bitcoin. And everybody else, it's a choice. I think that would actually be completely in line with Bitcoin's ethos because government doesn't play in to Bitcoin's ethos because Bitcoin was designed to basically get around the government. So who gives a shit what they want? Now, let's see. Uh, Let me do this one first. U.S. real estate company Harbor to accept Bitcoin. This is Namcios writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Harbor Custom Development will accept Bitcoin for its real estate properties. And Harbor operates in Washington, California, Texas, and Florida. So those are the key elements here. Texas and Florida and California and Washington states (laughs) are big areas of land. Okay, big areas of land. So let's get into it. Real estate development company Harbor Custom Development Incorporated will start accepting Bitcoin as payment for its listed land, developed lots, residential homes, condominiums, and apartments in four U.S. states, according to a Monday press release, quote, we embrace the technological advances in our industry and seek to guide their impact in the future. Harbor is excited to be the first national home builder and land developer to introduce our portfolio to the worldwide cryptocurrency market with more than 200 million users, says Jeff Habitzer, COO of Harbor custom development. Harbor is involved in all aspects of the land development cycle, including land acquisitions, entitlements, construction of project infrastructure, home building, marketing sales, and management of various residential projects. And the company operates in the aforementioned Washington, California, Texas, and Florida. Harbor said it would accept cryptocurrency payments through a third-party company that would handle the conversion to U.S. dollars and hold the funds in escrow until the transaction is closed. Despite accepting Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, Harbor sales will still be denominated and settled in U.S. dollars. Well, hey, it's a start, right? Sterling Griffin, president and CEO of Harbor, said it's a significant step forward for the company to offer its real estate products and services to individuals and institutions holding cryptocurrency. Harbor said it focuses its efforts on acquiring land with scenic views to develop and sell residential properties within a 20 to 60 minute commute of some of the top U.S. metropolitan centers. Its residential products, including apartments, condominiums, single family homes and luxury homes, are currently centered around Western Washington's Puget Sound region, Sacramento, California, Austin, Texas and Punta Gorda, Florida. So there you go. There you go. Okay, so it's 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 going to be more and more real estate companies jumping into the fray. I don't blame them. I probably would too, but we got better fish to fry. We're going to continue on with the real estate thread with this one from James Santee out of Bitcoin Magazine. Uh, Predictions, real estate before and after hyper-Bitcoinization. The US dollar is lost. Bitcoin is the new global money. Hyper-Bitcoinization has arrived. The world in the real estate market has changed forever. 
In a world now operating on a Bitcoin standard, those that create actual value <clears throat> are rewarded, and the parasites that once fed off the money printer are scratching their heads as to how it all happened. The real estate market functions rationally again. Before we examine what the real estate market looks like under hyper-Bitcoinization, let's recap what happened during the transition, starting in 2020. Part 1. The Transition as part of their COVID-19 pandemic response, many governments introduced moratoriums on evicting tenants from residential rental properties. After all, jobs have been lost and livelihoods destroyed by their lockdowns. Banks did their part by allowing holidays for mortgage repayments. For a while, the real estate market completely stopped transacting. The ability to travel, see, touch, and feel real estate and the economic uncertainty created by the government's response to the pandemic was a perfect storm. <clears throat> However, after the Northern Hemisphere summer and complete recovery of equity markets, the real estate sector followed suit and got with it despite some of the practical transactional hurdles still remaining. Institutions and middle to upper class households with secure jobs were equally flush with cash and began to put it to work in the second half of 2020. When mortgage repayment holidays started to wind down towards the end of a year or the year, a minority of stretched borrowers were forced sellers, but luckily sold into an incredibly strong market with prices ensuring they mostly sold at a profit. <laughs> maybe, just, okay, maybe. Similarly, homeowners around the world confirmed their investing genius with yet another year of double-digit price growth despite everything that had taken place. In the commercial space, government intervention also ensured recalcitrant tenants could not be moved on in, in, uh, easily. However, the new money created flows into the hands of institutional investors and ensured that capital values remained high despite poor income performance from retail, office, and hotel assets in particular. Meanwhile, logistics valuations hit new records as e-commerce became entrenched globally and data center construction boomed to meet demand from big tech's continued expansion and influence. 2021 was the year inflation started to be noticed and better understood by the general population. According to government statistics, it reached levels not seen for 40 years. However, distrust in these numbers grew and some outspoken voices started to question whether hyperinflation was already beginning throughout the Western world. Towards the end of 2021, the Turkish lira began to collapse. The first major fiat currency domino had fallen. Throughout the year, institutional investors had begun to accumulate single-family homes across America, with groups such as BlackRock paying 50% premiums in many cases. In places such as Canada and Australia, governments began the socialization of private housing by announced shared equity schemes masked as ways to help first-time homebuyers enter the market. Measures initially introduced as a short-term response to the pandemic were extended indefinitely. As the attractiveness of U.S. Treasury bonds waned further, the Chinese continued to be major buyers of high-end real estate and infrastructure globally, simultaneously pushing up prices and pushing out locals, extending a decade-long theme. Once again, prices rose in double-digit percentage terms across almost all real estate sectors. <clears throat> By the end of 2021, the Federal Reserve Board was openly flirting with tapering asset purchases and raising interest rates during 2022, while admitted, admitting inflation was no longer transitory, sending jitters through the market as pricing and demand for real estate started, started to soften slightly. Lockdowns returned to Europe, travel restrictions escalated, and pandemic fatigue took hold globally, bringing back some of the practical challenges faced in 2020. Focus began to increase on the conundrum faced by central banks, the impossible trade-off between trying to deal with rising inflation and bursting a debt bubble that would have tremendous economic and social consequences. Throughout 2022, it was increasingly clear governments and central banks had no real intention of stopping inflation. Multiple double-digit prints in major Western economies brought more rhetoric from bankers, but they only spoke about raising rates at an ever-distant point in the future. Capital markets responded by entering a euphoric risk-on mode, pushing equity markets to all-time highs. 
Bitcoin had an incredibly strong first quarter, and although it gave up gains during the middle of the year, went on to surprise most by resuming its consistent upward grind thereafter as it established itself as a macro asset of institutional and nation-state significance. El Salvador's first Bitcoin bond was oversubscribed, and their second triggered a number of South American and African nations to adopt similar legal tender policies in funding structures. Moving into 2023, multiple high-profile S&P 500 companies announced Bitcoin strategies. This took much longer than the market initially anticipated after MicroStrategy's pioneering moves in 2020. With Bitcoin's market capitalization now entrenched over $3 trillion and its resilience fully tested through another cycle, their entry had been further de-risked by Democratic Party infighting, preventing an anti-Bitcoin position becoming part of either party's 2024 election platforms. As this was all unfolding, residential real estate prices had doubled since the start of 2020, and now half of all home sales in the United States went to an institution. Violent social unrest had started to consistently emerge throughout Europe and North America, but was mostly quelled by increasingly strict policing of now almost permanent lockdowns. Rental controls became ubiquitous globally and tenants could not be evicted. But this had no impact on nominal real estate values given the combination of institutions being a dominant buyer and continued currency debasement. However, for those on a Bitcoin standard already, when priced in Bitcoin, real estate was on a continual decline. Although governments were generally powerless in being able to under or to counter Bitcoin's ongoing growth, they had significantly more success debuting a central bank digital currencies built on the Ethereum blockchain. Paradoxically, this caused more people to begin adopting a Bitcoin standard, increasingly frustrated by the never-ending lockdowns and expanding surveillance state. Throughout this period, multiple major currencies began to fail against the U.S. dollar, with governments and central banks' only response being to further debase the currency, leading to hyperinflation and more negative social consequences. After Bitcoin's U.S. dollar price surpassed $1 million, Canada and New Zealand became two of the highest-profile examples of modern hyperinflation, and incredible stories began to emerge from their real estate markets. In Canada where the government had already extended their socialization of housing by acquiring residential real estate outright and providing housing free of charge to essential workers, the lucky few remaining middle to upper class big tech employees were able to retire existing mortgages with a single annual bonus. In New Zealand, university students from China purchased entire condominium complexes and wineries with their allowances from their loyal party member peasants. In these examples, in local currency terms, real estate prices continued to rise as people fled their own currencies. This was of little consolation for locals, though, as when priced in stronger currencies or Bitcoin, real estate was crashing hard. Wage growth could not keep pace with inflation, and when combined with de the decimated cash savings, it became impossible for people to buy a house. Transactions ground to a halt. Even equity-rich sellers chose not to cash in as the market moved too fast for them to be able to redeploy into a comparable replacement property. Bitcoin's adoption further escalated in the second half of the decade and its U.S. dollar price marched towards $10 million. Many on a Bitcoin standard chose to leave their fiat careers as life in a surveillance state policed through CBDC wallets failed to align with their values. Fiat cash flows were also no longer necessary as their Bitcoin wealth had the potential to provide financial freedom. This was still possible in the few U.S. states and rogue nations that had broken free and either adopted a Bitcoin standard or allowed it to flourish unfettered. But getting there was impossible for most people as temporary government border controls in response to the pandemic became permanent features and convenient methods of preventing capital flight. Once the CBDC wallet's social credit system was operational, various controls were introduced to combat inflation, pushing consumers to low-cost deflationary choices and taxing unsociable expenditures 
punitively. This extended to various aspects of home ownership, particularly accessing mortgages, which became increasingly difficult for the majority of Bitcoin owners who had a KYC footprint. Without fiat salaries and despite their often hidden Bitcoin wealth, many traditional banks would only provide services and mortgages to Bitcoiners who held their Satoshis in bank custody. Self-sovereign Bitcoiners rejected this, re re this requirement. Instead, they looked forward to hyper-Bitcoinization looming ever closer as the system was obviously more unsustainable as time passed. For those determined to acquire residential real estate, alternative lenders emerged for the service the product offerings required significant compromises initially, but gradually improved to offer loan-to-value ratios, tenor, interest rates, and key management practices that were tolerable for some. Ultimately, increased competition among these lenders combined with a desire to accumulate Bitcoin drove the Bitcoin-backed mortgages sector forward and borrowers benefited. I'm going to pause that right here because it's a little long and we're going to run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. We have flammable liquids on the rise today. In fact, they're on fire. West Texas Intermediate up 1.14% to $84.26. Brent North Sea up almost a point to $87.10. Natural gas, however, is uh, drifting to the low side, 1.37% to the down. $3.97 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline, however, is up, up almost a point to $2.42 a gallon. Gold is up 0.12% to $1,843. Silver is down scant. Platinum is down a third. Copper is up a third. Palladium is up 1.1%. Agricultural futures, as usual, are kind of mixed, mostly to the upside, with coffee leading the way at 2.21% to the upside, followed by wheat, almost a two-full-point gain today. Soybeans, however, are down a third, followed by sugar, down 0.11%. Uh, looks like the indices are getting crushed today. Dow futures down 1.87. S&P futures down 2.4. NASDAQ futures down 2.7%. S&P Mini down a full 2.81%. Somebody call the Plunge Protection Team. Meanwhile, let's talk about real money at $36,261.62 with 264,189 transactions performed in the last 24 hours. That's just a hair over 11,000 transactions every hour on the hour with 1.29 million BTC. Check it, 1.29 million BTC. I haven't seen over a million BTC see trading hands in 24 hours in like a couple of weeks now. That's 53,876 BTC sent every hour on the hour with an average transaction value of 4.89 BTC and a median transaction value of 0 0.018 BTC or 652 bucks. Uh, block times are low slightly, 9 minutes 52 seconds. Uh, we have 0.08 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 11.95 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours with a 4.5% bump in hash rate. We're up to 198.59 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator is Dogecoin, 11, no, not 11, 13.8 United States pennies. We have 8,830. 35 transactions waiting on four blocks to clear with a market capitalization of $691.9 billion. Bitcoin commands 5.7% of gold's entire market cap. You may purchase 19.8 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 18,939,560 and a quarter. 3,361 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $122.8 million, running over 18, no, 19,328 nodes, sporting 84,654 payment channels, and 76.5% of, of, of all of that is being run over Tor, commanded by 11,392 Tor nodes that we know about. That's going to do it for Vitals.
Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Let's continue on with this Bitcoin magazine piece about real estate. <clears throat> Towards the end of the decade, the loss of trust in fiat currencies began to escalate as more governments were defaulting on debt obligations, often turning to their largest creditor, China, for a bailout. Thereafter, adopting the digital yuan as their new currency, as the cadence of this quickened and very few fiat currencies other than the yuan and the dollar remained, private Bitcoin adoption had become the norm. Finally, the United States government made the arguably bold but ultimately inevitable decision to announce it could no longer serve its debt. It adopted a Bitcoin standard, dragging all other nations using the U.S. dollar along with it. The dismantling of oversized authoritarian bureaucracies commenced, along with a period of necessary austerity in which all late adopters of Bitcoin, governments, corporations, and individuals would finally learn the lessons of low time preference under a Bitcoin standard. From here on, the real estate market would never be the same. Housing. The opportunity cost of using Bitcoin to acquire real estate is significant. You are trading money that will theoretically increase in purchase power forever for an asset that is less scarce and subject to depreciation and ongoing ownership costs. The period after hyper-Bitcoinization will be one of significant upheaval. Those with large Bitcoin holdings could have incredible power in dictating the terms of trade given the demand for their scarce Bitcoin. Ultimately, this won't prevent the money being distributed as trade cannot be avoided. Early Bitcoiners will probably all always respect their money's scarcity, but understand that some spending becomes unavoidable, particularly if all transactions are priced in Bitcoin and it really is the only money. The rest of the world adopting Bitcoin essentially at once will cause its purchasing power to increase exponentially. Think of the meme infinity divided by 21 million. Therefore, Many early adopters will be wealthy enough for multiple lifetimes and happier to part with Bitcoin for real estate than they are today, despite the opportunity cost, especially given that it could be very attractive pricing. For the majority who aren't early adopters, the incredible scarcity of Bitcoin will cause them to prioritize using what is irre what irreplaceable hard money they have as collateral in exchange for the provision of goods and services, including real estate, in essentially a loan-to-own structure. Bitcoin-poor real estate owners will happily receive interest payments in Bitcoin as a method of accumulation with the additional benefit of taking possession of the collateral in the event of a default. In this structure, the value of the real estate priced in Bitcoin could be significantly higher than the value of the Bitcoin collateral posted. E.g. collateral of 0.1 Bitcoin will buy the use of a house worth 1 Bitcoin for a defined long term, with interest payments only a fraction of the 0.1 Bitcoin collateral and denominated in Satoshis. A new type of business could emerge to facilitate and manage this structure on behalf of the real estate owner. A pure rental model will be similar to today's. However, rental yields should be much higher than the interest rates in the above loan structure given the Bitcoin owner has no collateral at risk and the real estate owner has no potential to take possession of Bitcoin collateral through a default. Market rents should move in line with changes in the productivity of the working population and their wages. This is the opposite of today's dynamic where, given the impacts of currency debasement, residential real estate owners' returns are almost entirely from leveraged capital appreciation. Predicting how much yields and interest rates will vary to today is impossible, but Fortunately, under a Bitcoin standard, wherever they end up should be market-driven and based on the comparative supply and demand for both real estate and Bitcoin. Those forced into the Bitcoin standard will still hold, but still holding real estate, may find that their mortgage debt has either been written off or is so small in Bitcoin terms that retiring it is relatively easy. However, they'll be doing anything they can to increase their Bitcoin balances. Therefore, for a while, it may be that the rental market for their real estate assets is incredibly cheap in Bitcoin terms as competition to obtain a Bitcoin income stream is intense. Similarly, the same strong desire for real estate owners to receive Bitcoin from a sale may cause prices to be very cheap initially. The market will ensure Bitcoin distribution starts to take place organically. Now, commercial real estate. 
Real Estate Service Provider Seville's estimated the size of the global real estate market as $327 trillion, that's trillion with a T, in 2020, with 21% of this, or $69 trillion, being non-residential. Assuming 10% of the non-residential stock is owner-occupied, there is approximately $62 trillion worth of commercial real estate owned by various types of investors, like REITs, funds, family offices, high net worth individuals, etc. As mentioned in the article, Bitcoin is a better store of value than real estate. The utility value of most of this real estate is likely significantly less than the financial asset that it has become today. Hyper-Bitcoinization could vaporize the financial premium within these valuations with an obviously major impact of these investors' portfolios. REITs and fund managers will be forced to adapt or shrink. Most won't make it. If hyper-Bitcoinization happens suddenly and quickly, their investor base will attempt to flee from liquid ownership structures. However, the majority of structures, whether that be private funds or directly owned assets, are illiquid and will experience max pain. Businesses who have been earlier adopters of a Bitcoin standard may find it beneficial to acquire the real estate they occupy. Ultimately, they will be the buyers of last resort in a market where the limited fungibility of real estate will become very obvious once it's been largely demonetized. Some businesses or even whole industries may not survive hyper-Bitcoinization, for example. It's hard to imagine a banking and finance industry anywhere near its current size. Similarly, with hard money creating actual trade-offs rather than endless expansion, governments will be forced to shrink dramatically. Despite, or rather, demand for office space could be decimated for some time. Much has been spoken of the demise of central business districts due to lockdowns, making working from home more widespread permanently. However, it's quite possible that hyper-Bitcoinization could have an even bigger impact on the way cities are developed. After a period of disruption, pricing and yields for commercial real estate will likely reflect the value created by the businesses occupying it, rather than the growth in money supply. The need to develop and manage commercial real estate won't ever go away entirely, but the investment industry that has grown around it will be a casualty of hyper-Bitcoinization. All right, so that's the end of that very, very long article, but it, it, it does give some insights into what could possibly happen regarding real estate in a hyper-Bitcoinized world. However, that that part about commercial real estate uh, kind of crashing because of, you know, uh, shrinking governments uh, and all that kind of stuff. Well, even though governments aren't going to shrink anytime soon, you don't have to wait for hyper-Bitcoinization to see the absolute decimation of the commercial real estate market, specifically because of the whole COVID thing. There has been and will continue to be a continual decline in how many people actually want to go out and rent commercial real estate, considering that most people were forced into a situation where they could sell their goods and services online and they got comfortable with it, if not very, very good at it. So they will now be looking around going, why the hell would I need an office? I can just do this from home and they'll buy a tough shed. And they'll build like a little, you know, they'll build it out in their backyard and put some pretty planters around it. And then going to work will be essentially walking out your back door, going into your tough shed with your little air conditioner or your little space heater and getting to it with a, you know, piped in internet and electricity. It is not that hard to do. You can get a good tough shed with a good amount of space for $5,000, or at least you could before all this mess happened. I'm just saying, you ain't got to wait to see the decimation of the commercial real estate market. You're seeing it already. It's already in full swing, and I don't think it's going to end. Like I said, even if they lift all COVID restrictions, there's going to be a lot of people who are looking at their balance sheet saying, here's what I didn't have to pay in electricity to keep it cool. Here's what I didn't have to pay in natural gas to keep it warm. Here's what I didn't have to pay in phone bills because all my workers are using their own phones and they're already paying their phone bills. It's going to be a deleveraging in a way that you've never seen before and we cannot even completely understand just how devastating it's going to actually be. If you're holding commercial real estate right now and you can get rid of it, it may be a good play. I don't know. I'm not going to tell you one way or another because we got other shit to do. 
Orange pilled by Michael Saylor. Northman Trader CEO, now a Bitcoin supporter. Joseph Hall from Cointelegraph tells us why we're seeing a whole bunch of Northman Trader tweets and retweets lately. It started yesterday, by the way. There is still room for humility and humor amid a gloomy January for Bitcoin. A former outspoken Bitcoin critic has flipped bullish on Bitcoin after conversations with Michael Saylor, CEO of MicroStrategy. What's more, Sven Henrik, CEO of market analysis firm Northman Trader, made light of his change of heart, retweeting a jibe from Twitter account documenting Bitcoin. And he uh, documenting Bitcoin basically has uh, a couple of pictures up. One is a screen grab of Sven Henrik's Northman Trader Twitter account saying, rip my mentions. Uh, as a response to him putting up a uh, picture of revolution as a word in like neon looking letters that has a Bitcoin symbol in it. And he says, why I am becoming a supporter of Bitcoin. And yeah, rip your mentions, brother. They got decimated yesterday. Despite his previous comments that Bitcoin fixes nothing, Henrik has been following the crypto markets for three years. He tweeted regularly about Bitcoin price action, offering market analysis as reported by Cointelegraph. However, he had no intention of buying. In 2022, he is now a supporter of Bitcoin. That means we can expect Henrik to have an exposure into Bitcoin this coming year, writes pro-Bitcoin articles such as the detailed and well-researched piece entitled Revolution and even adds laser eyes to his Twitter profile picture. But how did that happen? How do staunch anti-Bitcoin critics cross the void and commit to supporting Satoshi Nakamoto's invention? It appears to have kicked off when one of the biggest Bitcoin bulls, Michael Saylor, gave his two sats during a Twitter conversation between the pair in July of 2021. Saylor extended an olive branch to the CEO, demonstrating to Henrik that he should investigate BTC in more depth. Shortly after, they hosted a YouTube discussion in which Saylor does his best to orange pill the trader and investment pundit. Fast forward seven months, and Henrik is writing detailed pieces evaluating the alternative to an imposed monetary system, coming to the conclusion that Bitcoin is such an alternative. Henrik explained his current allegiance, quote, so to fans of Bitcoin, I say this, one of you, to those that are not, don't hate, appreciate. That's what makes it a market, end quote. The article, Revolution, Why I Am Becoming a Supporter of Bitcoin, explains the macroeconomic hash backdrop musings around regulation in the asset bubble. It is now pinned to the top of Henrik's Twitter account. Saylor and Henrik recorded another in-depth discussion together on Wednesday called Warming to Bitcoin, in which Henrik affirmed that he is looking to buy. During the chat, Saylor urged Henrik and viewers to invest more time in studying BTC. While we'll have to wait for his announcement of his BTC purchase, it's another win for Saylor. Undeterred by recent price action as he sets out to orange pill the world, Saylor said, quote, we're going to convince everybody. So if you were wondering why you were seeing a bunch of Northman trader stuff, that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's why. Okay. Satoshi Energy raises 60 BTC to power Bitcoin with renewable energy. Yeah, I know. Don't freak out. It's probably going to contain ESG stuff, but we are going to become masters of energy, whether black gray or green. It doesn't matter if it's got an ESG narrative attached to it. Just, just skip over that part. Just like whatever, because what's really important here is the fact that we will be masters of all energy, black, gray, green, solar, the whole suns, collisions of neutron stars. We're going to master it all. That's maybe that's what humanity's destiny is to be masters of the universe by being masters of energy and energy is what makes the universe. Let's go on. Satoshi Energy Corporation has raised 60 BTC worth about $2 million at the time of writing in a seed round led by Stillmark and its founding partner, Elise Colleen. Quote, the seed funding is a significant milestone for our company as we build a market lending strategy for Bitcoin miners to procure low cost renewable power and transform the future of energy finance. 
We appreciate the strong support from both our new and earlier investors who bring a wealth of knowledge from the Bitcoin and energy industries, Satoshi Energy said in a statement sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The company's business model revolves around the aim to improve the performance of renewable energy facilities by connecting them with Bitcoin miners. Quote, in the future, we envision every kilowatt hour delivered to an energy consumer will be paid for instantaneously in Bitcoin to the energy producer. Potter Ventures, Plaza Capital, Digital Garage Labs, Pier VC. 1031, Hivemind VC, Plan B Ventures, HCM Capital, and other early stage investors also participated in the round. Satoshi Energy said it was founded in 2019 under the idea that 24-7 power markets will benefit from 24-7 financial settlement enabled by the Bitcoin network. The company was built through over a decade of experience of CEO Andrew Mayers and COO Brock Peterson in the energy technology industry building a market strategy for Bitcoin miners to produce low-cost renewable energies. Quote, we sincerely appreciate our customers in the energy and Bitcoin mining industries who work with ultimate professionalism. Thank you to Satoshi Nakamoto for the brilliant implementation of energy-backed money and the industrial giants Thomas Edison and Henry Ford for their inspirational attempt at energy-backed money more than a century ago, Satoshi Energy said. So, again, all this is... whether or not it's green or gray or black energy and gray and black energy is a term that I use, you can figure out what that shit means. We're going to harvest it all, all of it, because the, the entire universe is made out of energy. Pick up a handful of sand at the playground when you're out with your kids, look at it and start at, and ask yourself this simple question. Is this matter? Or is this pure energy that I'm holding in my hand? The answer is the latter. Every single thing you see is constructed of energy. Because that energy has a pattern, it becomes mass. It's matter now. It turns, energy turns into a tree, not because God said so, as much as God said, here's how matter is going to self or, or energy is going to self-organize. And that's all God had to do. And at that point, nature takes off by itself and we get trees and sand and rocks and water and you and me and dogs and cats living together, mass fucking hysteria, right? Let's continue on with this one. Uh, Bitcoin miner CleanSpark reaches two exahashes hash rate capacity, NOMCOs for Bitcoin Magazine. CleanSpark, a NASDAQ-listed Bitcoin mining and energy technology company, announced on Monday that its operations have reached two exahashes per second, uh, enabling the miner to produce about 10 Bitcoin per day. Quote, we have more capacity coming in terms of machines and access to additional energy, said Zach Bradford, CEO of CleanSpark. In fact, we believe we are one of the most efficient miners in terms of hash rate per megawatt, and we're on track to maintain that, end quote. The announcement marks the actualization of CleanSpark's plans to double its hash rate since announcing it had joined the Foundry USA pool in September when it moved one exahashes to North American Bitcoin mining pool the following month. The company employed part of its BTC reserves to purchase 4,500 Antminer S19 Bitcoin mining machines and anticipated the buy to increase its hash rate capacity by 45%, adding 450 petahashes per second. Quote, given how much network difficulty is increasing, if you're not growing, you're regressing, said Matt Schultz, CleanSpark's executive chairman in a statement. Our accelerated growth is the direct result of our team's hard work and dedication to the Bitcoin network, end quote. In addition to increasing mining capacity, CleanSpark has also set out to increase mining efficiency as the company seeks to capitalize on every available hash rate installed. In December, the miner purchased immersion cooling technologies to implement on its 20 megawatt facility in Norcross, Georgia in a push to increase its Bitcoin mining efficiency by at least 20%. 
The company said the installation would be gradual, with the first 8 megawatts being installed by February. CleanSpark said it is doing a series of giveaways to celebrate the new achievement from January 31st to February the 4th. The miner will post daily Bitcoin-related trivia questions on Twitter. The first two followers of CleanSpark's Twitter account to correctly answer the questions of the day will each receive one pass to the Bitcoin 2022 conference in Miami. Again, thank you, Nomsios, for bringing us the news. And that is going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, joke time. Dad says jokes. I heard that by law, you need to turn on your headlights when it's raining in Sweden. The hell am I supposed to know when it's raining in Sweden? Again, if you'd like to support me and what I do in this show and all that it represents, you can do so through Podcasting 2.0. And I went over that, so I won't rehash it again. If you uh, want to transact in Dirty Fiat, I have a Patreon account. It is Bitcoin and Podcast, all one word, on Patreon. And I appreciate the patrons that I have so far. It was such a joy converting that filthy fiat into Bitcoin a couple of days ago. It was, uh, it was, well, actually it was more than a couple of days ago, which meant, yes, I missed the damn dip. So I'm not even going to rehash that shit. Uh, your support is always, always appreciated. And it's, it always, it, it, it's really weird because it's not just that it's appreciated. It's, it's surprising. You know, when, when you do something and somebody's like, I find it valuable and they, and they support you by, you know, giving you money for your service you know, it's, it's, it's heartening. It really is. It's heartwarming. It's heartening. It makes me want to do more. It makes me get up every morning and and continue to do this show. I've been doing it for over three years now. And I just, I think that I'm in a situation where I just can't stop. So you're going to be having me around for a while with these dulcet tones singing in your ear. I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and... And I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.